0: Hello and welcome to NJM Catalyst, my name is Tariq Ahmad, I am an assistant professor of medicine at Yale, I'm a heart failure cardiologist and I'm about almost two years into my first job. I finished cardiology and heart failure and cardiac research training at Duke for five years and there I had the honor of working under Dr. Christopher O'Connor who was my chief of cardiology and I consider him a close mentor. Dr. O'Connor is one of the leaders of academic medicine in the United States. He was at Duke for more than 31 years, where he did his residency. He was a chief resident. He did his fellowship in cardiology and rose through the ranks from being chief of heart failure to chief of cardiology, head of the Heart Center, and it was instrumental in bringing Duke up to a top five U.S. News and World Report uh, cardiac center. Then he switched career paths and, uh, and became CEO at Inova Heart and Vascular Institute. And I was inspired to interview him based on a recent podcast by Dr. Lee, who was exploring the question of what it takes to successfully lead academic medical centers. And I have the uh, honor of being able to ask him a few questions about that. So, Dr. O'Connor, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, sir.
1: Thanks for having me
0: so, Dr. O'Connor, my first question for you is: You are one of the the best leaders uh, I have come across, and I've always been curious as to what uh, makes someone a good leader in uh, in medicine. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you were identified as a good leader leader early on in your training? Is this something you developed? Is this something that you worked on? And how did you get better at being a leader?
1: I think. Leadership is something that's learned uh, and acquired, and, and there's probably some inherited components to to great leaders if you look at leadership across history. But I think one of the things we realize in medicine is that, A, we don't uh, receive much leadership training, and, B, it is a skill set that can be improved upon and, and acquired. And I would say that in my Specific case. I was very fortunate to have trained under great leaders as a as a house officer, particularly as a chief resident under Dr. Joseph Greenfield, uh, Dr. Robert Califf, uh, Dr. Bill Anley. These were leaders who, even uh, Dr. Stead, when I was uh, very young in training, with there. These were established great leaders in medicine, and I was fortunate to have had some time underneath.
0: Dr. Connor, you really excelled as an academic cardiologist. You've led very uh, important trials in heart failure. You basically were a triple threat in the true sense of the word. Uh, and then you led a highly academic medical center like Duke, where they published some of the key papers in, in heart failure and cardiology uh, that that's followed all across the world. So can you Tell us a little bit about how those qualifications and characteristics are, are important these days as uh, large academic centers are becoming heart and vascular centers. Uh, are those skill sets still going to be as important? What are the different things that are pulling at you uh, when you're leading academic medical centers nowadays as compared to when you were coming up?
1: I think the, uh, and it's a great question, Clark, is how do we continue to
0: maintain
1: a, a culture of academic medicine that is innovative, productive, thoughtful, and commitment to the goals that academic centers aspire to. And I think it's really important to understand the ecosystem of medicine now and what's happened now versus when. In contrast to what I was going through is that the economics have changed right? and the discretionary money that were available to departments and divisions are no longer there because the health systems no longer have the margins that they used to have. And because of this, there's been enormous pressure on faculty to do more clinical and more justification of their salaries, complete justification, the complete. Coverage by research grants or complete coverage by clinical activity, and I think this has really been the the struggle, and where there needs to be more work done to keep the the culture that we value much.
0: Dr. Klein, I wanted to get a little bit into into what you said. So um, now that I've I did uh, internship and residency at Brigham and Women's and fellowship at Duke, and now I'm at Yale, and I can see the the. The how important leadership at the top is in, in helping develop faculty members. Can you speak to a little bit about, and one of the prior podcasts said is, you can understand how academic centers are moving based on following the money. So how important is it to have people being chiefs of cardiology and directors of heart and vascular centers see eye to eye or be the same person? And, and what different responsibility do these two people have and how can they work together in making sure that the system provides really good clinical care but also does research and retains faculty, which is not completely going to feed the bottom line in the short term?
1: You know, that's a, a very complex question part, but I think that there's a couple points that should be made. One is that having a single voice, at the top of the academic division of cardiology and the clinical heart center is extremely important. Now, it can be two people, but there should be a singular voice on very important aspects such as commitment to a learning health system, compensation models that do reward academic work, a culture of balance, a work-life balance, and unselfishness is very important. Uh, I think one of the things that I learned very early from Rob Taylor when he was a co-PI with Eric Topol of the TANI trials, and they did about 10 phase two thrombolytic trials. And it turned out that Rob, despite being the leader in designing all those trials, he was first author on only one of those 10 trials, and he handed some to fellow, junior faculty, and many of them to his partner, Eric Topol. And I saw that, and I said, boy, that really engendered a lot of goodwill amongst a lot of people.
0: That is a, a really good point, Dr. Connor. That uh, brings me to my next question. I've rarely seen anyone develop talent better than you. Your mentees are some of the, the leaders in, in heart failure now. You have Michael Felker, Eric Velasquez, Adrian Hernandez, uh, uh, my colleague Rob Mentz is rising star, how is it that you identify and develop such talent in what seems to be a, you, you did it multiple times uh, when other people are only able to do it maybe once or twice?
1: I think that the experience that helped me was obviously having good teachers, like uh, I mentioned before, Dr. Taylor, Dr. Taylor, Dr. Wagner was a great teacher. But also, I would say, raising four kids. And uh, I learned a lot by raising four kids on how to mentor fellows and junior faculty. And that is, you've got to put them on a bicycle at some point and push them down the hill and see if they can ride the bike or fall. And so uh, I, uh, I had a lot of fun mentoring fellows and faculty by putting them in experiences that I knew they would be uncomfortable with, but I would be behind them enough so that I wouldn't let them fall. And I think that kind of learning environment was one that benefited many of the people that you mentioned.
0: I think that's that's remarkably true, Dr. O'Connor. Just from a personal point of view, I remember one of my most difficult days as a fellow, I got a phone call from you on my cell phone, and you called me to your office, and and, and really spoke with me and, and made me feel dramatically better, and I was really awestruck by how the chief of cardiology would know that something is going on with one of their fellows uh, and reach out, and that really uh, meant a lot, and I'll always remember that, and, and, and I learned a lot from that. Dr. Conner, can you speak to your experience going from always, you know being a dupe for most of your life, I would say, and your kids are there, and then transitioning to Inova, which is such a difficult healthcare system. What are the things that you've learned? What are the things that you plan to do? And and how do you see this as an example of where healthcare systems are going towards the future?
1: Well, it's uh, as you know, it's uh, it's a difficult, always a difficult decision and a complex one that you make. You leave know, an institution you love, and you've been there for 31 years, but. I really felt like I had uh, accomplished what I wanted to by moving uh, Cardiology into a position of being a top four heart and vascular institute and center. And I said to myself, for the next 10 years, do I just want to sort of maintain what we've done here, incrementally improve it slightly, or do I come back to my hometown, which I was promised? my dad is no longer living, I would, and take a very potentially strong healthcare system, which would benefit from some academic position leadership, and transform it to a top in, in and Institute in the most important, I think for, for the most important piece in the world. And uh, in a setting where 95% of health care is delivered, that is, in these independent academic health systems or these health systems uh, that are not affiliated with universities or medical schools. And to me, that was going to be a one of the ultimate challenges. Could I take the Duke playbook and utilize uh, the things that I've learned and transform the health system from one that was Good, but not great to a great one, and that's really why why I made this decision. And it's uh, it's it's really been challenging in the first two years, but I have to say that I think it's a a, a goal worthwhile.
0: That's wonderful, Dr. Connor. And we can tell by you know uh, you you could be like LeBron James and uh, and coming from the outside and. And win the championship. You are also the editor-in-chief of Jack Hartzellier, which has rapidly risen to uh, probably the best failure journal that that's out there. How do you see that role in the overall scheme of, of leadership in, in medicine and how you can steer the healthcare system? I'm a big fan of your editorials that you write for Jack Hartzellier, for example. How have you developed as an editor and, and what you see, as the role of these journals uh, in the future of healthcare?
1: Well, I think, I think journals have become very important and vehicles of uh, communicating not only scientific breakthroughs, but ideas, uh, the exchange of ideas. And by um, pinning it with social media, which you're outstanding on, I think we can help what I want to do, which is transform the way we practice medicine, and that is, the ultimate goal is to say that everybody is committed to a running health system. That is, everyone who's in practice is taking observations and uh, advancing them so we have new knowledge and putting them in registries or repositories, or contributing to randomized control clinical trials, practical trials, sophisticated trials, et cetera. It takes the, the entire physician workforce to be committed to the learning health system, and and I think the journal can help get there because we reach at, we touch thirty thousand cardiologists to the journal. So I think it's a very important role, and I take it very seriously.
0: So, Dr. Conard, around dark, do you? How do you see the future of cardiovascular uh, medicine and its practice? We know that reimbursements will be going down. The pharma companies, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, have been burnt with uh, development of heart failure and uh, other cardiovascular therapies. Uh, so their R&D is going more and more towards uh, things like cancer. How do you see the, the future of the landscape in both research and practice in cardiovascular medicine?
1: Well, so Clark, you make a very good observation that the investment in cardiovascular development is mostly in a, in a large part because companies and sponsors, you know, public sponsors such as the NIH aren't seeing the return on the investment uh, because of barriers to implementation. And so we have a very fractured health system. That's why I think in the position I am here, if I could uh, fix the fractured health system in one area and use it as a model for the rest of the career to be an important contribution. The the challenges, I think, going forward are that we have to really emphasize a a unified, aligned physician team that starts with the family practitioners, the allied health professionals, the internists, the general cardiologists, and then, let's say, the heart failure specialists, that has to be a team. Heart failure doctors only take care of less than 1% of heart failure patients. Mm. We're not, everything we say and do in our professional uh, work as heart failure specialists, we're we're only scratching the surface, and most people we're not touching. Mm. The second thing I would say is that we have to make a major emphasis in prevention. You know, 95% of the U.S. population will have hypertension, I think. 85 will have, uh, abnormal BMIs. Diabetes will be, you know, in our clinical trials now we see 40% rates of diabetes. I said, th- this is unstable. And this all will translate into heart failure as well as bachelor's disease in general. And I, we have to do something what I would call upstream. And, and I think the health systems could be the area where we, we bring this all together where we could tie implementation of evidence-based therapies into electronic health records, you know, at time of uh, interaction with with the patient, that we would make major commitments to participating in research via compensation models, and that we would invest heavily as health systems in population health to keep people healthy and out of the hospital. And this means looking at you know, more novel strategies. We need to be partnering with entities that are very sophisticated with social media and, but also knowledge of behavioral science and adherence to exercise and healthy diets. So, there's a lot of work to do, as you know, George, to get our uh, our population healthy, our, our colleagues and patients healthy, and to uh, fix this health system. But I see that as a uh, an enormous and worthwhile challenge.
0: Well, that's that's absolutely wonderful, Dr. Connor. If anyone can do it, it's going to be you. And, and uh, I have to tell you, that, you know, having interacted with you has been one of the most important professional interactions of my uh, my career. And I've learned so much from you. And I I know that you're you're going to do even more to change the the landscape of medicine and how it's practiced across the world. So. Thank you so much, Dr. O'Connor, and one of the other things that I've learned is that I I will not get as stressed out when I'm taking care of my two kids because hopefully that will help me become a better leader as well. Uh, They're five and three, so it can be pretty challenging, but uh, you've done such a remarkable job with your kids. So thank you so much for for talking with us, and good luck with everything in the future.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much.